This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're going to prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best. And they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. Our ninth. Look who it is. It's Shep. Hi, Shep. Hi. This is our ninth ninth Rising Tide, Shepard. And it's been really well received. Welcome, everybody. And thank you so much for, for coming to the to our session, show, Zoom, et cetera. Um, Shepard needs no introduction. Like, I mean, please, everybody knows him, but there's some stuff that's pretty intriguing about him as well. So I'm just gonna, Shep, I'm just gonna regale everybody with your accolades. You ready? Okay, Okay, here we go. And by the way, I had a long conversation with Shepard right before we signed on about what that means behind him. Cause I thought it meant a late night drink at a ski hill. <laughs> do you want to explain it before I do your bio? That's what every I went to Ole Miss, and everyone who goes to Ole Miss says that to each other. It's like aloha to Hawaiians. It's hello, it's goodbye, it's good luck. It's 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 the words you say. We just won a national championship in baseball, and I'm still riding high. Mazel tov on that one. Thank okay, you. so howdy, Tommy, everybody. <laughs> Shepard, of course, is the anchor and executive editor of the News of Shepard Smith weeknights on CNBC. He's also the network's chief general news anchor and chief J- uh, breaking general news anchor. He joined CNBC in July of 2020. I can't believe it's been that long. I know. It feels like yesterday. Wowzy. Okay. Uh, so two years after spending two decades at the Fox News Channel as chief news anchor, managing editor of the Breaking News Division, and anchor of his eponymous show, Shepard Smith Reporting, among many other titles at Fox News Channel. He's covered everything from presidential elections and major hurricanes to oil spills, school shootings, and of course, 9-11. Before joining Fox News Channel, Shep was a Fox News Edge correspondent based in Los Angeles, and that's where we first came into contact with one another because I worked at a Fox TV station in Dallas, and Shep was often the lead on my show in Dallas, Texas. Um, He began his broadcast career reporting at several Florida TV stations, including WSVN, WCPX, WBBH, WJHG. He studied journalism at? Ole Miss. Hotty toddy. And he hails from Holly Springs, Mississippi. So, Shep, welcome. It's so nice to see you. It's great to see you again, Ash. It's been a hot minute. I I can't even remember. I think last time you and I saw each other in person was at the... um, 30 Rock Skating Rink. There's a bar right close by, and I think we were throwing back a few, but I don't even want to say it was pre-children. I know that. <laughs> it was right around Christmas. I think Al Roker was about to light the tree, and we 
we were acting like weird tourists hanging nice. out. At, it, it's now like a an NBC store or something, but it used to be a bar. It was fun. Good. Well, it's good to see you, even if I have to see you on uh, on TV. Um, so you've had, you know, I'm trying to do the math to see if you and I have been in, in TV the same. I've been 34 years. Are you around there? or a little I bit started in 89, so 33. Oh, wait, 88. Yeah, yeah so yeah, 34 oh, years. Yeah. So we're exactly the same. There you go. I knew there was wow. a reason that we instantly had, you know, the kismet and the connection. I'm going to just dive right in. I have so many freaking questions from this amazing group, and they are all really, really good questions. So I'm going to go rapid fire because um, we've, we've just got really great participants today. Jenny Dolph is from Erie, Pennsylvania, from WJET. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Um, as a local news broadcaster, well, as local news broadcasters, Jenny asks, our number one responsibility is to give our audience the day's top stories in a balanced and nonpartisan way. What would you say to reporters new in our industry about the importance of integrity and how to handle misinformation when you encounter it? Well, integrity integrity is displayed over a lifetime. It's like it's like a reputation. It's, it's built all your life and it can be destroyed in an instant. So you just have to have to do right. Um, you, you have to remember that the people you're interviewing have feelings and emotions, and this could very well be a very big experience for them while it's fairly routine for you. And that what you're really trying to do is ask questions that will elicit responses to which you can listen. And I think that's the thing we sometimes forget to do. You know, you, you want to fill the space when you're talking with someone, right? That's just sort of how it works. Or, after church or at a bar or at a, at a ball game, you want to fill the space. But if you just pause, it's your, it's your most powerful, most powerful tool I've, I've found. And, and because they'll fill it if you, if you let them. And as far as integrity goes, you, you just have to, you just have to stay with what you know is right. You have to seek the truth, find the truth, tell the truth in context and with perspective every single day. And when you make a mistake, you have to correct it. And that's, that's really all your viewers expect me or that's all they should expect. By the way, those silences are often where you get the best stuff. That's where you get the headline. That's where you get the thing that makes people magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, who knows that? I think I've said this on, on our sessions before, but you know, who knows that I think best in our business chef, Howard Stern. Oh, he, Baba Bowie. he is very, very good at it. And you know, there's a reason that he gets such great sound out of people you know, he's, he's gregarious and he certainly pushes the limits, but he will stop and let you fill the space and just watch you while you do it. And yeah. he's the best. He really is. He's a listener and he's very empathetic and he really does care about what his um, guests are saying. Um, as is evidenced by the way, he responds to them after everything they say. It's not just with the next question. It's with something that, you know, has inspired him from, from their last comment. All right. Chris Maloney from Atlanta, Georgia, by the way, Chris Maloney, has the best questions, and he sent so many of them, so you'll probably hear his name a few times. Um, what do you see as the key differences between the major cable news networks? Is it as polarized as the audience thinks? Are they actually closer than most people know? What are the major misconceptions people have about cable news networks and journalists? Chris, I think you're talking about within the networks. And I'll say this, we're all friends. The, those of us who have beat the street over the years, I mean, it doesn't matter which which one of the corporate overlords is paying you. We're all trying to do the same thing. We we're, we're journalists trying to beat each other, and and when the lights are off and we're not chasing a story, mostly I think we're friends. That's actually that's always been my experience. I don't feel any this polarization that you talk about comes with pundits and 
and that sort of thing. And those, that's not what I do. So I'm so happy to be involved in a project that all the, all they want from us is to just seek it, find it and tell it and do it, do the best job of it you can and just leave all the polarizing stuff out of it. But, you know, I'm friends with, I would call myself friendly friends with Jake Tapper. I'm friends with Alison Camerata. I'm, uh, you know, I love Rachel Maddow. I, you know, Hannity and I used to be friends and, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it's polarized at all. I think we're just squirrels trying to get a nut, you know? So I, I often wonder because, you know, and there you and I were uh, competitors for years. I was at MSNBC and then, um, and you were at Fox and, and that was a scrap fight, you know, in the early 2000s. Right. And we've, oh, yeah. you and I've always been pals and Hannity uh, is a dear friend. Um, I think yeah. Hannity's very changed in those 20 years. His, Certainly his perspective on the air has become very, very different than it, than it used to be. Um, off air, I feel like he's the same guy, but I don't work with him. So I don't see him every day. And I wonder uh, if- not ever did So the, the, the interesting question is in the halls of all the cable news outlets, does it feel the same as it looks on the air? Meaning people's perspectives and what they talk about in their hallway productions and their you know conversations and their meetings. Does it feel the same? Does it feel like the staffs are as polarized as the product is? No, not at all. You know, coming from local and I've, I'm born and bred in local and I love local. I've always loved local. I'm not doing local now. I realize things have changed, but I loved local. And I loved the tightness of the newsroom. And I loved how the competitiveness with the newsroom across town and the way we would all go have beers or, or whatever afterwards. I, I love that. These places are huge. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, we were in 20 floors in the last job. And you might not see people who work in the same shift as you ever. You know, there's lots of places to eat and this 40-story building. And, and out here, you know, there are 2,000 of us just at CNBC. And it's massive. And it's the last thing we're ever going to talk about. Or, you know, we we talk about people's kids and, you know, I talk about my boyfriend and what shows we're seeing and, you know, whatever funny stories in the news today. Mostly we're working, you know, can you get that? And by so, the way, I will know, also it, say, Shep, that if you hear banging, it's my fifteen-year-old uh, directly above my yeah, office. So it, the the thunder and lightning that it sounds like is not; it's just fifteen-year-old uh, with fifteen-year-old feet. Okay, so um, right, this next question is from Jackson Gosnell from Greenville, South Carolina. What was the transition like from Fox to NBC? Are you happy where you are? I'm sure you're going to say yes, <laughs> but I would love to hear about the transition. Well, I you know I left there with no job. I I I, I just quit. And it wasn't long. that was in October, I think. And then we did some traveling, went to see my partner's family, went to see my family. We went overseas. And while we were overseas, the pandemic hit and locked, you know, so we locked down. We, we thawed chicken, you know, like everyone else. And that went on for a long, long time. And it was during that period that I interviewed for jobs. I interviewed at all the networks and. I loved what they had, what they were wanting to do here. It, they don't, they hadn't done general news here and they wanted to do general news because they thought there was a lane within bigger Comcastic, uh, NBC universal for a, just a straight newscast kind of old school with bells and whistles, but old school and, and in prime access. And around that, the thinking at the time was that they would build uh, partner programs, much like you've done at news nation. 
And that part hasn't happened, but um, I'm still hopeful that that happens. But I, it, you know, it's it's entrenched in journalism. The brand at this place is is cherished, and they want it protected. And they we have strong standards and legal. And I've never really been involved with that before. That wasn't something I was accustomed to. And I, I know that for a lot of people, you come into a big company and, and standards is all over you all the time. I'm one who loves it because I want every I dotted, every T crossed. I want every script copy edited as many times as humanly possible because I don't want to make a mistake. I, I the, it, the worst thing on earth is, you know, cockpit error. It's going to happen. But you want enough standards and safeguards in there as possible. And we have them. And and we have a brilliant staff. Everybody's just so smart and young and aggressive and a bunch of senior producers who are just crushing it. And they're all so well read and care so much about the news. So and and there's none of the weirdness. There's no there, there aren't two sides of the coin here. It it's it's sort of, you know, there's business and there's what we're doing, but there's not any opinion stuff. Maybe there's a little opinion on the morning show, but you know, whatever. It's all business and news and there's 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 no drama. You don't feel the agenda um, looming large over you every night, and that's Never. lovely. By the way, I'm really glad you just said what you said about um, standards and practices and loving having the teeth, uh, you know, crossed and eyes dotted because it can be super frustrating and nauseating when you're working under uh, duress and stress and and deadline, and along comes this slogging process of making sure it's all okay. And part of the reason I launched Rising Tide was to pass down the best practices to you know the next gen and what's delightful is that although we don't have a lot of cameras on uh, with all of our participants uh, a lot of our participants are you know very experienced and veterans in the business and always looking to improve which i also love because if you think you've learned it all you're in the wrong business yeah Um, right right up until retirement you're going to be in the wrong business if you think you've learned it all but i do think that there's a lot of really good stuff that we can pass along to those who are up and coming about just how great Standards and practices really are. They keep us safe. They keep our, you said it earlier, the integrity. One small mistake and you can blow your integrity 20 years in the making. So believe it or not, I love that safeguard and I love that you brought that up. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Okay, Jake Thomas uh, from Twitter asks, uh, how well, well, this is kind of the same venue, you don't have to spend much time as, how well did you get along with the management of Fox? Well, you know, we got a divorce. I, I like to think of my time at Fox as growing and learning, and especially in the, the first decade and a half, really just I traveled the world. I was on the front lines of every single thing that happened and I got along great. 
with Roger Ailes. I've, I've said many times he was like a mentor to me. He was like a father to me in many ways. And I certainly didn't know everything about him. We all do now. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I, I learned a lot from him. And he was really, really good to me. And uh, I got along great then. Things began to, you know, things got a little murky. And 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 I, I hightailed it out, which was fine. I mean, divorces work out nicely. I get along great with the management here. Um, there was a little bit more, wasn't as much of that interaction at the last job. There wasn't as much. It was a big place. You didn't see the bosses too much. And that's a, it's a good question, not just to sort of, you know, uh, dig into the, the past, but also because I think a lot of people on this, in this session are going to be navigating bosses and they will come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and, and, you know, philosophies and navigating is one of the arts of, of this business and other businesses, how to handle those beneath you and above you, because they are a morphing situation at, at all times. Is there one, I'm just going to dovetail off of Jake's um, question. That is, is there one piece of advice you can give with regard to, in, you know, ensuring that you are inoculated at all times from drama, politics, and ugliness that can really affect those relationships up and down? I think, you know, be kind. Um, I, there was a time in my life when I was scratching and clawing and beating everyone. You just go, go, go. And, you know, devil may care. Got to be kind. And you got you to gotta remember that everybody has a life outside of work. And you don't know what they're going through. And it's also none of your business. But you got to navigate the workplace and do unto others. And, you know, managing man, managing bosses, is it's tricky. But it's their shop. You know, I, I worked for the man because my dad back in the day was, a you know, he worked for himself. He was a cotton merchant. He bought cotton from the farmers and sold it to the mills. And there were good years where we were a middle-class family. And there were years we didn't have almost anything. <laughs> we got through it and they provided it, but it was tight. And it caused a lot of angst in my family. And I said, I'm going to work for the man. Part of working for the man is, or the woman, you, they're, they're their rules. And you play by their rules until they want you to do something that goes against one of your principles. And then you got to go. And, you know, I, I want to do it exactly how they want it done, exactly how they want it done. I will work within their parameters every single day and I will learn to be happy about it because you cannot fight city hall. But if there's, if it's a big principle thing, if it's about telling the truth or misleading the audience or something, you know, something about morals, you'll know it. You'll know when you have to say, nope, got to go bite and you'll find another job. There are lots of jobs right now. That's phenomenal advice. Work for the man until it goes against the larger principles and then you got to go. I think that's, um, those are words to live by for, for all of us in many different scenarios, not just, you know, the elephant in the room scenario, but, but many different, you know, different scenarios. Um, okay. Will Kelso from Los Angeles next to our media group asks, thank you for sharing today. Um, who or what was your earliest inspiration to pursue a career as a TV host and broadcast journalist? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been I've been asked that before, and I, as we all have, and I think that I wanted to be able to tell stories live. I was really, really interested in live, and they didn't have live where I grew up in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which was the Memphis DMA. They didn't have live until WMC Action Five, our NBC station in Memphis. They had a minicam. 
forget what they call it, a live, a live truck all of a sudden. And Elvis's funeral was coming, going down the street. And it was live even in Memphis. And I'm like, holy crap. I will now be able to go over to that Vietnam War if that happens again and explain to both sides of my family, mom and dad, no, I know you're arguing about this, but actually it's like this. And I can just tell them and, they'll, and they will believe me. And that's sort of how I think it started. I was maybe... 11 or 12 maybe or something like that and i i knew i wanted to do that then and then once i got you know was transitioning into high school i found out that old miss had a little bit of a journalism program but not much of a broadcast journalism program but i figured i would make it work and then and then they had someone and then you know then we went to panama city and just beat the streets and beat the streets and beat the streets and had a hell of a time it just and i just never i, I figured someday i would end up doing something else i figured it would be relatively soon because I figured I was going to be starving to death and I didn't like starving to death. But that's not how it worked out. Yay. I love that epiphany, you know, <laughs> seeing that live track. Uh, Elvis oh. is funeral, even. Man, you're dating yourself, my friend. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this is another one from Chris Maloney in Atlanta. And I really love it because it's going to really dig into, you know, um, where, where you prioritize, you know, things in the business. He asks if you were asked to teach a college class, what would you want to teach? Is there a subject that journalism students, any students, aren't learning that would help them? Well, history and and English. <laughs> but I did teach. I, I, I taught a little bit here and there. I taught as part of at Ole Miss as a, a, a an advanced level like broadcast journalism course, which we did a couple of weeks down in at Ole Miss, and then I brought them up to to New York and. We worked in New York for a while when I was over at Fox, and I still keep in touch with some of those students. It was a really wonderful experience for me, and I would love to do that sort of thing again. But I know what I want to teach. I want to teach intro to I want to teach BJ 101. I want to teach intro to broadcast journalism because you have to know how to do everything, and everyone everyone knows that now. But when when you and I were coming up, Ash, we did a lot of that too. I mean, I carried the old BBU 110 and the Ikigami 735A and you know, put the live truck up and, I, you know, young people don't want to hear this stuff. But now they you need to be a backpack journalist. And if that first class learning how to write for the ear, learning how to sequence and put and put things together. That we are a TikTok world now does not mean we can't better produce our TikToks and better communicate with our TikToks. The very basics of of writing an active voice and. And letting, you know, sound should have emotion and, and, and how to use that sound and how not to do it. I like the very basics. I think that's where, where we're missing out in, in many places now. And the foundations of if you didn't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it, you must attribute it. And if you can't attribute it, you cannot say it. That's if great. everyone would just do that, we, we'd be... It would be so much better. Be in better shape because we're rushing. You know, we're we're the content, the amount of content that we're being required to fill. I saw um, you talking to, to Norville about that. I went yeah. back and watched that. She's totally right. You're both right about it. It's too. You, you said. I, I told him I can't do radio too. Wow, look at it now. Back then, I thought it was so much to have to file a radio report as well as a TV report. Damn, I had no idea what was coming. You know, all the social that you have to do all day long. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of demands. I think that would be the very first line out of my mouth if I were to teach a course. And that would be, are you really sure that you have what it takes? Because it isn't just showing up and presenting. It, there is um, 
There is an enormous demand and you better be a good producer, no matter what part of this job you decide to take, no matter what part of television broadcasting you decide to be in, you better be a good producer and you'd better understand flow. Because when we're working in chunks and, and we're checking a fact and then we're coming back to the story and adding more to it and you know creating a story over the course of a, an hour or two, did you check it from the top to see if it has actual flow, that it makes sense, that it's going to land on its target? I think that's one of the things that often we might forget. You know? And did you read it out loud? Read it out loud, please. <laughs> read it out loud. As embarrassing as it seems to people around you, they all know it's totally normal. Okay, um, Jaila Seymour. I hope Jaila. I hope I pronounced your name right. J A I L A. Jaila Seymour from Memphis, uh, Channel Three News says you've covered many stories like 9/11, war, school shootings, etc. How did this affect your personal life? How did you know that this was something you wanted to do? And I love that question about how it affected your personal life because I think that. For me, at least, anyway, the 34 years of journalism has changed me uh, untold number of times, and not always for the better. Yeah, it, it's. I didn't think about it like that when I went into it. I I was chasing ambulances and going to city council meetings, and you know, I was just having a good time and and learning to tell stories. And then, as the career continued and it, it moved, and you know, and then you're jumping all around the world covering really big stuff. I thought I would just be able to put it all in boxes and let it work that way. Cause that's kind of how I'd run my life as a kind of a closeted guy, most of my life. And I thought I could just do that that way too. And I, I think the first time when it really got away with me was we were at, we were at the Murrow federal building after Timothy McVeigh blew the thing up. And I was working for SVN seven back then. And there were a lot of us there and we were doing many hours out of there. And we were following this one family they hadn't heard anything and they were waiting and there was this church where everyone would go to each day. You could go and get an update to see if they found your people. And of course, everybody's kind of hoping, well, they're going to find mine alive. And they didn't. So we followed them and we waited for them till they come out until they came out for a couple of days. And I think it was the third day they came out crying. And to this day, it's still hard. Because we knew them by them. We we were with them by then. We were living, you know, it's easier to parachute in. And, and then we went back to the live to the satellite farm and we were we were a mess, you know. We just a mess. And this family, Oklahoma City Heartland family, comes over. It's mom and dad and a couple of kids, and they brought cookies for the firefighters and flowers for the memorial. And they saw us in a mess. And they came over and gave it to us. And we were like, oh, my God. It's the one time where like, oh, my God, we're we're living this horror all together. I am a part of this. I'm not just a storyteller. When I'm here, I'm a part of it. And I've taken that with me everywhere. I took it to Columbine. I took it to Uvalde. I took it to Buffalo. I, and everywhere in between, these people's lives are shattered. And you can be kind and gentle and helpful, or you can run right over them because they're vulnerable and you have to be the first thing or you'll never be able to live with yourself. I remember the the booking wars at Columbine. Oh my God. I was there. I was there first from New York because I just got right on a, on a plane back then. You could just go to LaGuardia and get on a plane. And I landed before anyone else from New York, from the big networks had gotten there. And then once their bookers got there, I watched it. And these kids that I'd been talking to 
frankly, gently. And then it became the war. And I was like, man, I'm never going to operate like this. I don't know if I answered the question. I get on tangents. Oh, you really did. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, because I think we get really, again, we get really busy under deadline. Yeah, so and busy. we tend to treat the material that we're covering as the product. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is the product. And you can't take your eyes off that that prize. But at the same time, you do have to um, inject a hell of a lot of empathy because it's real life as well as a product. But do you think, Shep, that that, that experience at um, at the Murrah building changed how you prosecuted your career and and presented your uh, character on on camera. We're all characters on camera. We bring ourselves yeah. as well, but then we enhance them on camera because we don't usually speak in public like we technically do on on air. But do you think it changed how you perform your uh, professional duties? I I think that it was an all. It, it was the little person on my shoulder reminding me that this is just another day for you. You've just gotten off a jet and you've flown in somewhere with the driver. And here we are with your big crew. And aren't you fancy coming from New York? And these people are in a hellscape or they're, you know, they are emotionally jet in some way. And, and I can have one of two kinds of effects on them. You know, they may know who I am, you know? So, and I, I just, it, as a result, there's been more of a reminder every day of my life that I have to be just right with with the people. Now, if they're politicians or they're, you know, there's another kind of that, too. But when, when you're dealing with victims, you just have to be you have to be there for them. Because, but not on the air. You know, I, I'm talking about the part that matters. We don't spend most of our day on the air. We spend most of our day out there if we're doing it right. And I, I just feel like the more big experiences people like that, I think the reporters down in Uvalde can tell you now. I think the ones up in Buffalo can tell you. I think all these people can tell you now. You have to experience. Yeah, let me tell you, um, you do behave differently if you're dealing yeah. with, I mean, look at Uvalde. That was two different stories. There was the the hellscape, you know, and the, and yeah. the, the fallout from the hellscape. And then there were those who were trying to cover it up. And those yeah. are two two different prosecutions for us as the reporters, right? And you got to put yeah. that hat very quickly and take it off very quickly. So Shimon Prokupes from CNN. Wow. Right. Still is. Yep. Oh man. I remember when Shimon was uh, producing in the Washington Bureau and every so often he'd jump on the set with me because there was no reporter yet. And he would, you know, be so great on the air as this, you know, dogged producer. Uh, he's just brilliant, by the way, just brilliant. I love him to pieces and I'm very proud Same. of his work. Okay, uh, Walter Durst from Facebook asks, um, how do you deal with competitive people in the newsroom? It's a great question, because again, it's navigation of the uh, inner politics and it's, it's like on steroids in, in the broadcast business. It kind of is, you know, at now at the network level, you know, it's not really, they're not around. It's, it's very, very big, everybody's spread out. But in local newsrooms, don't let them outcompete you. I One thing I'm positive I never did was really get outworked. I, I, I never said no to a to an assignment when my when my stepsister was getting married and the Tim and the the verdict was coming down and for Tim McVeigh again and in Denver and under Judge May and they held it to a Saturday and that was her wedding day and I'm the story on that I'm the reporter on that story for months and months and months I I have to be there sorry sis I don't have a choice I I have to be there and don't get outworked I, you know they they they'll be probably smarter I mean. I got a lot of 
Ivy people around here and all of that. But if you go hard and you go strong and you never relent, you know, if you, if you lose a battle here and there, I used to lose the battle here and there to hold a copy when we were both in Fort Myers together. I mean, I used to lose a battle in, in Miami with, you know, Ari Odzer or David Bloom, God rest his soul or any of those people back in the day, but you know, not going to lose again tomorrow. <laughs> and no. as far as the personalities go, eh, you know, if, everybody's a star I, I never really i never felt so thought so highly of myself frankly I, I never caught i never caught the green light bug you know i'm gonna i want to um follow up on that in two, two two prongs number one is that the drama and i agree with you on local news i i felt local news was far um more difficult to navigate a newsroom just because you are all in one room together usually yeah. that those newsrooms are small and every single minute of the day you're on display and so is everybody else. And so that's tricky. That's very tricky. Best advice there, stay out of the fray, stay out of it, stay out of it, stay out of it. Um, yeah, no question. And it's hard, especially when you're yeah. young and you're trying to endear yourself to your colleagues. You're trying to be a part of the family. You're trying to be, you know, be a great, um, you know, player and not on the fringes. It's very, it's a really hard navigation. We'll have to do a whole other session on just how to navigate the local newsroom. But the, I want to ask you another question about never losing the battle. When we were young, and we were young when McVeigh, that was 94, four, the volume was in 94, right? I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was still in Miami. Yeah, so we were young in the business, right? Six yeah. years. And um, that was the mission. We're not married. I don't have kids. I say yes every time they ask me to jump. I ask how high, and I'm already jumping while they're asking. But now in retrospect, after 34 years, does the Norville factor come in, which is, she said the the crystal and the rubber ball, your family's made of crystal and your um, your work ball's made of rubber and you've got to decide which one, you're going to juggle them at all times. Now with all of those years behind you and a lot more security, would you have said, I'm sorry, I can't cover that story. I've got a family wedding. Like would the metric be different now? If it were happening today in 58 year old me in current circumstances, uh probably probably because but i'm also not the beat reporter on the story all the time i i think if you're if you're on the beat and and the it's yours you have the institutional knowledge when something happens you have it in your head you don't have to look it up you know you 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 know this thing because you've been covering it forever you cannot i don't know i i just i know I, that hadn't changed but now I, I do certainly since the pandemic and really since leaving the last job i do have a I must have a work-life balance and with all of it I talked to all of them and told all of them I will have a work-life balance I'm going to take more time off than I've ever taken in my life I mean we're gonna we're going to agree on those numbers in advance but I'm going to take these many days off and you're going to agree and I'm going to agree and then once we agree then I'm actually going to take them and I'm going to be with my family and I'm going to be with my boyfriend and I'm going to be with my friends and I might not leave the living room not coming to work <laughs> and Unless it's check big. Email. or maybe i'll just check email but i won't respond no i hear I'll you check email. yeah my gosh i could double triple quadruple this session because i still have like four more pages of questions <laughs> um and they're all really good questions and i think your advice is fantastic um shep thank you so much for this and and thanks for being candid and um i i I hope you'll do another session. I'm going to like, I haven't asked to double up yet, but I am going to bug you sometime down the line for a second session. Cause I think we still have lots more to cover. And when are we getting together again for another drink? 
I know. You know, when we first came on, I was like, where's Steve Eager? Yeah, those were good times. I, I miss you, Ashley. I hope you and your family are happy and healthy and, and well. And Faith Mangan, hello. And thank you all for checking out. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Shep. I'm going to hold you to the drink. I'm going to invite everybody <laughs> on the Zoom to join us as well. And uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And, and I will see you hopefully on another one of these too. And, and hopefully before that. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Don't forget, you can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV, This is Ashley Banfield, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.